0: Welcome to Riverside Church Southwold podcast. This week's sermon is from Steve and it's entitled Stand Firm.
1: Good morning. The reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verses 10 to 18, The Armour of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind... Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Thank
0: you. Yeah. <coughs> Morning. It's a birthday today. Oh. To my word. I've obviously lavished richness of gifts upon her this morning. Well, she's having a new battery for a mobile phone, actually. (laughs) Great. It's really good to be here and great to be together. As always, I would like to bring uh, a few thoughts from um, the book of Ephesians on the subject of standing firm in the faith. I think this is a, um, a biggie for these days when our faith is challenged by government, by legislation, by uh, people putting themselves at the center of the universe, and somehow it seems these days, doesn't it, that we need to contend for our faith. And uh, here are some words from the Apostle Paul which thoroughly encourages to do that. And I'd like to look at them and tra- perhaps just try to see what it all means uh, and uncover a few truths within it. Just uh, as I always do when I'm speaking on Paul's letters, I like to try to set a bit of a context so that um, you know, we know where it all fits. This letter was written by Paul to the uh, Ephesian church uh, around 60 AD, and Paul is writing the letter from uh, prison in Rome. He'd actually created this church or planted this church some seven years earlier, in 53 AD and sometime between those two dates Paul had spent three whole years with this church teaching them and encouraging them and uh, if you read the book of Ephesians you get the, uh, the the idea that Paul really loved these people in fact I think that you read was from Ephesians wasn't it today and I mean a great verse and I don't think Helen knew I was going to speak from Ephesians, but when Helen came and read that, I thought actually that what she read was typical of what Paul was saying to the church. He said that, I pray that you will be able to know the love that surpasses knowledge. It's a contradiction there, isn't it? But that's what Paul was trying to do. He was trying to teach this church that they were dearly loved by God beyond comprehension of the human mind, but somehow understandable in the spirit. And that's the way Paul went. And um, he spent three years with the church, and you can read a little bit about those three years in Acts and chapter 20 if you choose to. I'm just going to read a couple of verses from that as Paul leaves the church. He's addressing them one final time before going away for the last time. And in Acts 20, we read Paul saying, I know that after I leave savage wolves will come among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I have never stopped warning you, night and day, with tears. So as we come to the end of this period of time, seven years after the, or or a number of years after the conception of the church, Paul is continuing in this letter his heartfelt plea that the church would stand firm in what they believe. And I know I don't need to convince anyone here today that we're living in a, a godless society. That's not to say that every person is godless, but the way that our nation has turned away from the laws of God, which it used to adhere to many years ago, is now so far apart that for for us to stand firm, we're putting ourselves often at odds with the norms, with the government, with legislation. And as such, we can expect to be challenged. That's what was happening in their day, of course. There's nothing particularly new about that, but maybe it's a new thing for the United Kingdom. And so the words that Paul spoke to the Ephesian church all those years ago, I think are really very appropriate and relevant to us today. We need to know that our faith will be challenged by people. And in the uh, difficulty of all that, Jesus himself said, it will be so difficult sometimes, the love of some will grow cold. Let Let it not be us. And I would like just to try to to encourage us today about standing firm against the fiery darts of the enemy, but also against things that may not look like fiery darts of the enemy, but actually are. Didn't Paul say our struggle is not against flesh and blood? It's against the powers and principalities that are behind them. He's basically saying we're in some kind of cosmic battle between the devil and God, and we need to know where we stand and whose side we're on. Make the choice that you are going to stand. As I was preparing this sermon, I I, I, I know my mind wanders a lot these days, and uh, yeah, it's a thing of age, isn't it? But I was thinking, I wonder how many sermons I've listened to over my uh, nearly 50 years in this church. And I worked out, that I think it's about 6,000, It could it seems a lot more sometimes, but (laughs) about six thousand sermons. And I think very rarely do you remember a whole sermon. I think what you tend to do, if you're like me, is you remember little nuggets from sermons, and over a period of time those nuggets the dots somehow join together and, and we learn in that sort of way that's what's happened to me but as I look back there are two sermons at least that I can remember really very very clearly sermons that had an effect on me as a 16 year old boy a new convert and uh, one was a visiting preacher who came to the chapel there'd only be about 12 or 15 of us there at the time but he talked about the strategies of the enemy, and how difficult it's going to be to live the Christian life. And he looked at us us 10, 12, 15 people, whatever we were at the time, he said that the the tragedy is that statistically, out of every 10 Christians, only one will still be standing in 10 years' time. And I, I remember swallowing hard and thinking, that can't be true. But Lord, if it is, please let me be the one that's standing. Me and my pal, Rog. There's two of us at least. You weren't born then, sorry. (laughs) I just set myself up for these things, don't I? I say to our, our young people, I'm ever so glad you're in today. You know, those statistics are real. One in 10 of you will be standing in 10 years time. Sort it out with God now, like I did in those early days. Prove the the statistics wrong. May God cause all of you to be standing in 10 years time. May God cause you to be standing in pulpits and leading worship and and living the Christian life in your communities in 10 years time. Let's book the trend here. Let's stand and let's know we've got something to stand against. The other sermon that I remember um, I think it was probably by Grenville who kind of looked after us at the time. It was about the reality of the enemy and how the greatest strategy of the enemy was to convince us that he doesn't exist. And that's actually a sermon that was preached back in the 1800s. The greatest strategy of the enemy is to convince the church that he doesn't exist so that we don't worry too much. Oh, that's just coincidental. That's just the way culture's going. That's just, you know. But of course, you don't have to read much of the Bible to know that he really does exist and he's a formidable opponent to the church and there will be casualties along the way. And I remember, I think it was Grenville, he said, you know, he doesn't want you to know he exists so the way he will deal with you is he'll just give you a little nudge and then another little nudge and then another little nudge and when you're on the edge... He will slam you to the ground. So don't give ground. Stand firm, says Paul. And with all that in mind, it's probably no surprise that in the space of just four verses, Paul says, stand four times. Sue read it for us there, but let me just remind you, in Ephesians 6 and verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. To reinforce what he's saying, three verses later, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. And then in Chapter 6, verse 14, just a verse later. Stand firm then with the armour of God, which we shall go on to talk about in, in a moment. I really felt a whisper from the Holy Spirit. I, I can't tell you it was a voice. I, I just had just an impression as I was preparing this to say that God wants to thank you for standing. You're here today because you have stood. And I think he wanted to say, well done to you. Some of the things that some of you folks have been through, I know, as pastor, have been horrendous. And you've stood. And it's interesting, Paul says, he's not looking for a victory dance. He's not looking constantly for flashes and fireworks to say, how great am I? Say no, at the end of it all, just stand, just remain, just be where you are. And if you've been knocked down, get up and stand once again. The passage, I think, isn't so much about the armor of God, excuse me, it's about standing firm. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12, Paul says, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. We should never look upon a person who's fallen and say, I would never do that. If you do, beware. I've seen this, I've watched it happen time and time and time again, when a Christian has self-righteously looked down his nose at some other man or woman who has fallen in some way or other or been, you know, had, Difficulties in living the Christian life. Don't ever point to them and say, I would never do that. Because you're lining yourself up for the very same fall. I've seen it happen time and time again. The Apostle Peter takes up the same theme in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 17. Therefore, beloved, since you already know these things, be on your guard so that you will not be carried away by the error of lawless and and fall from your secure position. I couldn't help thinking as I read that whether Simon Peter's mind might just have gone back to the Last Supper. There Jesus has got the the 12 around him and he says, but one of you is going to betray me. Peter jumps to his feet as he so often did and said, they might all betray you, but I never will. Oh, the pain of that voice, Je- Jesus saying to him, yeah, before the cock crows, Peter, you who are never going to deny me will deny me three times. And you can just see that the, the falling of Peter in that moment. But of course, there was a blessed reinstatement, wasn't there, later on in the Bible, which is wonderful. So Paul says, so put on the full armor of God. And as I say, I I don't think this passage is actually about the armour of God. I think it's about standing. But as um, a sort of help and an assistance, Paul is now bringing forward the image of a Roman soldier, which I don't know if you can read that very well, and and saying, put these um, articles of armour upon you as you walk the Christian life. Now I've I've heard sermons on this over a number of years and I heard one preacher say that every morning he prophetically puts on the helmet and then he prophetically puts on the breastplate and then he Prophetically, boltens up the the belt and the shoes and, and everything else. And uh, I thought, <laughs> I'm not really wired that way, you know. <laughs> but if that works for you, that's all right. But it all just seems a bit out there somewhere. And you know, and I heard I heard one preacher. He said, um, he said, now, this wasn't in our church, by the way. He said, now, how many of you put on the armor of God this morning? don't you hate it when preachers ask questions because you're thinking oh, i think i know the answer to this but i'm not sure if it's a trick question and and um y- you know and i know the answer should be jesus but it sounds like something else and and uh of course of a few hands went like that and he said well you shouldn't have done you shouldn't have taken it off last night That was very many years ago. And I don't think Paul's really, you know, I don't think it's about the armor, but he's saying this to the Ephesians, because this would have been a very, very common sight in the streets at Ephesus, because Ephesus was occupied by Romans at the time. And so you would go out of your house, you'd pop down to the shops, and before long you would see a, a Roman soldier. And Paul is really just saying, look, just as a Roman soldier who is on duty would not go out without his armor, and neither must you. He must dress for battle because the Christian life is a battle and it's going to become more of a battle. And so he says, put the helmet of salvation on. Make sure that your thinking's covered. He's saying, put the breastplate of righteousness on. Who's our righteousness? Oh, I asked a question. Jesus. <laughs> is our righteousness, the belt of truth, who's the truth, Jesus, the way, the truth and the life, the sword of the spirit which is the word of God, the one piece of armoury which helps you to attack and there's the, have I missed one out, shield of faith, the shoes of the gospel of peace. I just got my eyes caught on the shoes because they don't really look like battle shoes do they so I read up about the shoes and occasionally, when um, Roman soldiers went into battle, they would put on very heavy shoes with spikes underneath them in order that they could stand their ground. But unless it was that kind of terrain, they wore sandals. The reason is they were comfy. There's nothing worse, is there, than marching with blisters and uh, feet that hurt. And I think Paul's saying, look, be fitted with these shoes, the gospel of peace, be comfortable with the gospel, because that's what we're here to proclaim. Let it always be just around you, comfortable on your lips, comfortable as you speak to your friends and your work colleagues in the workplace. And so he tells us to make sure we're covered and properly attired and to remember that we're not civilians. We're part of the army of God. And then he comes to the end of that little um, passage and says... In verse 18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions. And keep on praying for all the saints, for all the believers. That's just so important, isn't it? Helen said this morning, again, completely unconnected. She said, do you know you're being prayed for? And you are. We had an away day and we prayed for you and we pray for you. May I encourage you to pray for each other. All the saints. That probably isn't just limited to our church. Pray. Pray that God will keep us all standing firm in these difficult days. It's just so important and you know as the church grows and we have grown, haven't we, it's hard to pray for everybody by name, although there are people in our church that try to every day pray nevertheless for those in your circle and those generally in your church. In Ezekiel and chapter 22 verse 30 The Lord speaks through the prophet. And the Lord says, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap before, on behalf of the land. The picture there is that um, cities would be protected by walls that would uh, protect them from advancing enemies. But every now and then when a city was under attack, part of a wall would become breached and soldiers from the city that were defending that particular city would go and become the wall themselves they would literally stand in the gap and they would take the fiery darts they would take the arrows the flak that was coming from the enemy and this is a picture of what happens when we pray for someone in need we're literally going into the breach in their life we're literally praying and standing in that place where the enemy is trying to penetrate through and our prayers according to Ezekiel stop that penetration it is so important that we pray for each other and just as I come to the back end of this sermon there are also another four places where we're told to stand it's in different passages but it is sort of connected by the way just let me show you I've skipped a bit there haven't I we stand together. That's right. In't done that one. Stand together. I'll do that one now. We stand together in the faith. Philippians 1:27: Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We're told as a church, as believers, to stand together. And here again is a picture of Roman soldiers. That is a a picture of Roman soldiers in in an offensive attacking position with their shields and everything ready. But here is a picture of Roman soldiers in a defensive position. You may or may not know that the Roman soldiers' shields actually locked together So that nobody was vulnerable. And then they could put this roof over themselves and they could move forward, even though they were in defense, they could still move forward like a tortoise, completely protected. And the Apostle Paul says that we as a church should stand together, one in spirit. We're also to stand in the faith. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Be on alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men and be strong. We're not to be like the men from Ephraim when the going gets tough. Listen to this from Psalm 78 verse 9. The men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and they refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done The wonders he had shown them. Our church is not to be like the men from Ephraim who as soon as it gets difficult back off and run away. Stand in the faith together. We're also to stand in the work. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58, Paul says, Be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. What is the work of the Lord? Jesus himself answered that question when asked it in John chapter six, verse 29. He said, the work of God is to believe in the one he sent. That's our work, to believe in the one he sent and to bring others into that belief too. And we're to be one in that work, so important. Galatians six, verse nine, let us not become weary in doing good, For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. What is that harvest? It's the lost. People come into faith in God. And then finally, stand firm for those who have stood firm for you. Philippians 4 and verse 1. Again, Paul writing. Therefore, my beloved brethren whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. You are here today because people have stood firm for you. I shared a, a little while ago that I have a, an eternal debt, and Rog would agree, and my brothers who were around in Grenville's day, we have a debt to that man, Grenville, who sowed his life into ours, who tirelessly uh, prayed for us and ran around after us and fetched us and we took him so for granted. I owe a debt to that man and I believe he'll be rewarded in heaven for what he did for me and what he did for us young people at that time. So there are those personal people that we should be in debt to. But through the centuries, of course, people have laid down their lives for us. Here's a picture Of William Tyndale in 1536 at the age of 42 he was arrested he was strangled to death and then burnt at the stake why because he dared to translate scripture into English that was illegal you had to be licensed as a Catholic priest to do anything like that And he started to write large parts of the Bible, translating it directly from Hebrew and Greek texts into English. And he paid with his life. And we have these books today telling us about Jesus Christ because of the likes of this man. Stand, because people have stood for you. And as I close... The finest example of that, of course, is our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down. Isn't that lovely? The contrast from the standing we're talking about. With the work done, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, there's a cloud of witnesses cheering you on, who've gone before you, who've given their lives for you. The picture painted here is like the picture of a, of a stadium, an athletic stadium, and the marathon race has been run. Well, of course, the marathon race isn't run in the stadium, it's run outside in the streets, but it ends in the stadium. And if you've seen these on the Olympic Games, you'll have seen people coming in, running, exhausted, and the, the stadium is, is standing and applauding them. The great cloud of witness that are there, cheering you on, willing you on. Grenville isn't up there, cheering me on. William Tyndale, John Wimber, the martyrs, on whose blood the church is built, we're told, are there, cheering you on. Stand firm for those who've stood firm for you. Amen. Thank you for listening, and if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at riversidechurch.org.uk.